Welcome to the Half Court Press Podcast, Omaha World Herald production. Joel Lorenzi, Dirk Chatwin. I'm Dirk. He's Joel. You probably figured that out by now. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, and an, another eventful week on the uh, the local hoops beat. Uh, Joel is is uh, his program is riding high after uh, three my program very necessary home wins. Um, Big big test coming Saturday at UConn. Something the Jays like are Jays are going back out on the road and and it'll uh, it feels like a little bit of a reset. So we'll cover that. We'll cover the Huskers who who took one on the chin at Michigan State uh, the other night and have a have a sneaky big game on Saturday, Joel. That will not rise to the same uh, prominence on a national scale as Creighton, Connecticut, but Nebraska, Minnesota. Sure feels like a big one, considering how few uh, road games uh, are, are probably going to be winnable for the Huskers. So we'll cover that too. Um, as always, thanks for listening. This is uh, this is uh, your most efficient, most versatile, and certainly your most entertaining uh, local local basketball podcast. So I uh, appreciate you listening, Joel. Let's start with the Jays. They uh, they got a, a pretty easy one the other night. That was. I mean, all things considered, where this thing was two weeks ago, I think this is about what Creighton needed to sort of write the season. And obviously, uh, getting Ryan Kalkbrenner back was a big part of it. What's uh, what's your primary takeaway from from the win over Seton Hall and uh, and just on a larger scale this three game winning streak? Sure. And, and first, Dirk, let me let me just say you got you, Dirk has this new take on the quarter zip that I haven't seen. <laughs> I like what he's got going on. He got the scarf going okay, on. Okay, so I was going to lead with this, and I thought it was a little goofy. <laughs> Joel, the scarf is so far, so by far the most underrated accessory in the wintertime. Sure. It's just, it's ridiculous. Like, I can I cannot wear a scarf and wear 17 other layers, and I'm still cold. But if I put a scarf on, even if I'm wearing, you know, just a quarter zip, I, I'm suddenly bundled up. Like I'm to the point where if I could figure out a way to attach this thing to my shirt without it falling off and getting lost or the dog running off it with it. I like it right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you can kind of flip it around your neck. <laughs> my wife laughs at me like that. She does this like fold thing where then she loops it through the fold like she's tying her oh, shoes or something fair. like that. I like that. Uh, but the point is, Joel, my gosh, there's nothing that – is so light that adds so much warmth in the wintertime as a good scarf. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm not on a scarf wave yet. If I, if somebody gifted me a Burberry scarf or something, like a scarf that I can make, because I like to be relatively fashionable, you know, if I, if I can make a scarf work, I would. Oh, you, you pulling it off right now. But, Joel, that's the thing. Like, the scarf, I think it adds a ton of fashion. But, see, the scarf you got on right now, Dirk's wearing this, this black scarf with, like, it's about twenty years Picnic old. Checkers. It looks like a. It looks like a. What what, what would you call it's that? Plaid. What's the shirt called? Flannel. A flannel. It looks like a flannel. Yeah. But no. I, what, what I got on right now, I got on this magenta hoodie with rhinestones on it. It could use a scarf. I don't think it would work with it. Oh, everything. A scarf works with everything. You just got to get the right color. You'll be shocked. Just shocked how much warmth it adds. Sure. Well. Speaking of things, if hey, if this doesn't land me an NIL deal with a local scarf with who? shop, with who? Hey, there's, what, what, there's, what scarf brands are there? There's got to be a scarf shop in Omaha that is just dying for a for a sponsorship well, on the Half Court Press podcast. I don't think I, 
there can't be a good chance today because out of all the things I promoted on this podcast, I haven't sniffed the deal. So, <laughs> well, nah. we're just we're just withholding that. All the mail comes and we grab it before it gets to you. Yeah, so. it figures. Anyway, it's speaking of things that work well together. Um, the the Seton Hall game. I thought, um, and Ryan Kalkbrenner said it best. Um, there's a lot of connectivity within their defense, and I think it's something he's looked for. And frankly, I think, um, a lot of national media turned their heads away from this Creighton team. Uh, during that six-game losing streak, and probably rightfully so for most of it. Most good teams don't lose six games in a row. Sure, but also you have to consider Ryan Kalkbrenner is their best player, and I don't think it's particularly close. It's not as close as we we thought it might have been leading into the season. Like, we might have thought all five dudes were, like, within the same tier, you know, close to it. It's not close anymore, I don't think. Um, I think Arthur Kaluma still probably got the highest ceiling of them, maybe. Um, and even he's kind of bought into this role where um, he's doing the simpler things and not trying to be Paul George. And so um, Ryan Kalkbrenner is their best player by far. And so when you look back at those three games they lost, still winnable games, still bad losses. But I think there was something to be said about how much impact he has. And I think you've seen it in these past three games. Obviously, we had to take those first two wins back uh, with a grain of salt in DePaul and Butler because those teams look really bad, right? But Seton Hall is a middle-of-the-pack Big East team. They're not punks. They got a good win over Rutgers, who knocked off Purdue. Um, and sure, they play nasty basketball at times, but they're a okay team that can win games. Probably a, a decent team on their, on their best day. Got bounced by Kansas, but Kansas looks like the best team in the country, according to some now. So um, Seton Hall is a team that could beat good teams, and Creighton had their way with them. I mean, the defensive half they had in that first half – and. It, the defensive half Kalkbrenner alone had in that first half was unreal. I mean, he, he says that he's still working his way back toward the his peak conditioning point, and he had five blocks in that first half. Like, he looked like peak Kalkbrenner, and I think with him back, um, they're trending in the right direction. And um, I thought that half alone spoke volumes, but then they they kept Seton Hall away for good for the rest of that game. Yeah, it's just it's weird. Like, when you have an anchor like that, as a as a guard, even as a three or four man, it just gives you so much security defensively. You know, to know that you've got somebody behind you that that is going to cover up your mistakes. Um, you can you can get out more. You can you can be more aggressive. Um, it just Creighton just plays with more confidence. You know, and offensively, it's the same way. It's like okay, we know that if that guy gets the ball within six feet of the basket, it's two points. And so they just they play with more certainty. Um, and so, again, not a huge shock because you kind of got a sense how good he was. Um, but, but if you ever needed a reminder, uh, Seton Hall was your reminder. And, and you know, not to downplay the, that six-game losing streak, right? Six, losing, six game, losing six games, losing six games. Like, there's no way around that. But I do think, um, like, they dearly miss Cogburner, as I've said. And and that that last the last three games there where they're in Vegas and and whatever like and Marquette, um, it did reveal some intangible things like uh, toughness and um, heart, I guess, like stuff that uh, they just had to make up for themselves and stuff. I think they've made up since then. But Cogburner, I think, like you said, brings that all together. And even like I'm watching some of the other players as they play alongside him, and like Trey Alexander had a 
sneakily really good game last game. I don't know how sneaky it was, but to me, it, it felt like a sneaky good game because um, he's not, obviously not spotting up and hitting seven threes like he did against the ball. But you're watching him make live ball reads off the bounce, and they're, like, hedging and icing him, and um, they're really challenging him as a facilitator, right? Like, how patient can you be making your reads? And he took his time, man. I think I think there's a level of comfortability you have when you know Kalkbrenner's on the floor with you. And he took his time, and he wasn't just finding Kalkbrenner. I mean, he was finding everybody. It was a few times. I'm, I'm, I'm watching Shaheen because he's an animated dude. I'm watching him on the sideline, and there was a few passes – that the Trey made, whether it was a skip pass or just a, a perfect read, where Shaheen's just throwing his arms up like, what the F? Like, what what are you guys doing? But I think it was just a testament to how impressive Alexander looked alongside Kalkbrenner. I think stuff like that and, you know, Kaluma flying in for boards and these guys doing stuff that they probably didn't do during that, that last three games of the 16 losing streak is because they feel more comfortable and have this level of, okay, I can do this while he's out there. Yeah. And, and there needs to be, there needs to be a little bit more role definition than there was in the first ten games of the year. Um, I think you know you look at good teams, take the Boston Celtics last year, right? Like they they kind of figured out who they were when when guys realized the pecking order, you know. And I'm not saying Creighton needs like a, a definite pecking order, but there just needs to be a little bit more acknowledgement of strengths and weaknesses I think sure. and and I think Joel if 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 Trey can be there if he can be their second best player you know I, I like I like that order I like that hierarchy um, because I think he's got so much versatility uh, you know and then Shireman and Kaluma and Nemhard obviously bring a lot to the game and can go off for 20 at any time but um, they just there needs to be a little bit of like a okay, this is where I fit in, and I, I felt like that was missing, um, certainly during the the six game losing streak, but may, maybe even before that. You know, I'd agree. I, but I will say I don't know how possible it is considering the the personalities on this team, and I don't want to say egos. I mean, and the individual the individual aspirations, right? Yeah, like uh, athletes want to be NBA players, and so I think that was Kaluma. I think you saw that most in Kaluma, um, and I think he's flipped the switch, but even still. On the other side of that, I don't know. Like, these dudes are all inconsistent, so you don't know what they're going to give you each night. So even if you do define their roles, I don't know how well. Like, if you depend on Trey to be um, your second-best player and he's getting bumped around one night, I mean, I don't know I don't know what that looks like moving forward because I think they've all kind of flipped the switch in their mentalities and whatnot. Um, but if he's getting bumped around and, um, you know, having a game, like during that losing streak, he had a, a very bad shooting slump. Like, he like I, th- if, I thought he was underrated how bad he was. Yeah, and so if he's doing that as your second-best player, um, it leads to confusion. So I, I don't I don't know right now if they could, you know, try to clamp down on some role definition, but it's a good idea. It's just they have to be a more consistent bunch for you to really be confident in that. And um, I think they went into the year thinking, like, because you don't know what each guy's going to give you and so-and-so could pop off one night, they saw it as a strength for them. And now, after, you know, having this sample size, I think it would be better to know who's going to give you what each night. Yeah. Well, they're going to they're gonna get a very interesting test Saturday morning uh, because this thing has really flipped in the last 10 days where Creighton went from an absolute mess 
uh, to suddenly feel on a jolt of confidence. And UConn went from being arguably the number one team in the country to coming off two losses. Now they're going home. Uh, I'm sure they're going to play with a lot of desperation. Creighton's going to have to be ready for uh, for a bit of an ambush on Saturday morning. Sure. And in fairness, like I rock with UConn. I like their team. Um, I'm not picking them for the, that game. But I'm saying the, the number one stuff, um, I saw the argument. But I've been rocking with Houston this whole time and, like, Arizona. And they each have – they each lost a game before um, UConn did. But I, I think those teams and programs have had just added elements where you can see they're, they're a championship team. And UConn has had flashes like that. But I think, um, you know, they've kind of had similar – in these last two losses, they've kind of been similarly exposed. Like, I thought down the stretch in Providence, their star players just – couldn't knock down a shot like yeah. as, as good of a player as Andre Jackson is and you know Sonogo is um they're just looking for shot making kind of like Creighton has uh oftentimes down the stretch and so yeah um obviously they're in the two game skid I, I wouldn't uh put a win Saturday past them though I mean they're still UConn right and usually t- teams that are that good don't let losing streak slip past well especially coming home right like you lose two on the road and you come home and it's like okay this is our chance to get right in the same way that Creighton came home and and had three home games in a row with with that same mindset so uh I think Creighton needs to weather the first 10 minutes on Saturday you know I think UConn is going to play with with a lot of intensity a lot of desperation uh you're going to be there uh you're you're flying up there and uh I imagine it will be a one hell of an environment yeah I think so too and um, the thing with Creighton, man, like, I think, I think their confidence is at an all-time high, and it's because, like, obviously, their three-game homestand was like, man, like Butler, DePaul, whatever. Seton Hall, cool, but um, you take a big leap with with UConn and Xavier. Now, I think beating them the way they did, like they had Seton Hall uh, down by their biggest deficit all season, and I think. They played – I mean, Kansas beat them by 31. They were down 32. Maybe it wasn't their biggest deficit of that season, but um, they almost beat them by their biggest deficit. So, I mean, they, they handily whooped them. Like, after the first five or ten minutes, like, it, it, it wasn't a game. And so I think that's giving them a level of confidence that um, being able to catch UConn in this two-game skid, um, it's just perfect timing. Now, I think Creighton, like, you're right, they're going to have to weather the first ten minutes. And um, something you haven't seen this year is um, – them having two different halves. Like if they play, if they shoot, if they don't shoot well in one half, it's going to carry over to the other half. I think with the type of shot making they have and, you know, that level of comfortability I mentioned with Cogburn on the floor, I think if the shots aren't falling in the first half, you can't let it affect your defense, um, which I think would be pretty hard with Cogburn on the floor now and the way he's anchored them. And then you have to keep shooting. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying do what you did against Nebraska, um, but – shoot the shots that you feel comfortable with, not that the defense is giving you. Yeah, good point. Okay, you mentioned the Huskers. It's a good transition to them. Um, They, uh, since we last spoke, they beat Iowa in a a pretty dominant performance, Um, arguably the best performance of the Fred Hoiberg era, actually. Uh, Iowa could not make a shot. Nebraska was flying around making plays. Uh, of course, the hard part is is making that carry over to the road at Michigan State. Joel, back when you were about, 
I don't know, 14 years old or something like that. Nebraska <laughs> went up to Michigan State in in the middle of February and uh, and won a huge road game up there that kick started an NCAA tournament run for them. Uh, did not get the same result the other night in East Lansing. That was uh, they hung hung for a little bit and then Michigan State kind of kind of ran away late in the first half. Uh, the Huskers, you know, as we always know, they just struggle to score. Uh, Michigan State shot 48%, which is good, not great. Michigan State, you know, didn't make a ton of jump shots. Uh, Tyson Walker had a nice game, but, you know, that was pretty typical Michigan State. Nebraska just can't score sometimes. And aside from Derek Walker, they really struggled. Um, they're going to run into this on the road. There's just not a lot of offensive uh, depth on that team, Joel. Yeah, and uh, I don't know this this team, man. Like you, you don't know what you're gonna get. Um, and banking on you know being gritty and and having nasty games, um, it can win you some big games like Iowa, which I challenge Fred to to maybe grab to maybe buy himself some time. Which I think I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I I think he has bought himself some time. Even if I don't know how the rest of the season pan out, but I gotta imagine if it trends this way, he's he's bought himself. If you beat year. Creighton and Iowa in the same year, uh you it, it certainly buys you some uh some leeway with Husker fans. No doubt. And um but the, looking at the Michigan State game itself, um I think that was Michigan State well it, it might have been their second conference game because I know they they played and, and lost to Northwestern. Not great because that's probably the worst team in the league. Um, no, Minnesota is the worst. Minnesota, team in yeah, the sure. Minnesota is, is the worst for sure. Um, I I forgot about Minnesota because they're that bad. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean that was Michigan State's like first. I guess the start of their real league slate um, after they played a bunch of random teams. Well, they 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 did play Penn State. Okay, so they they're really sporadic, but. Um, this is not this Michigan State team is not super impressive. Nope. Um, and Iowa obviously has some things going on, um, but that was a big win regardless. And so I I don't know where to stand with this team and their forward momentum because um, you send Creighton uh, to like mental hell uh, with with that win, and then you beat a team like Iowa, and then you, you got like moral victory type things with the IU game, even though they lost kind of handily, but they didn't have Griezel, and um, they've had other, I think, moral victories. But then to lose Purdue, a game yeah. like this, yeah, Purdue. And then to, to lose a game like this, like. But, Joel, that's what happens when when you can't put the ball in the basket. Yeah. Like, you go on the road in conference. If you can't score, you're going to get blown out, you know, because the other team plays with more confidence. Uh Michigan State certainly plays with more confidence. So, you know, you're going to have nights where Nebraska's going to have more than most, but they're going to have nights where they don't score. And uh, and Wednesday night was – Tuesday night was one of those nights. Uh, they they go into a really important game Saturday, though, because as you're at UConn watching Creighton-UConn, Nebraska's going to Minnesota. And uh, for the reason that we just talked about, you know, Minnesota being the worst team in the league, yeah. that's a road game you got to win, right? Because yeah. you're not going to get many opportunities. And Nebraska's going up to the barn where, uh, you know, some goofy things happen sometimes. Uh, that's a game they got to win. They got to steal one because you don't, you're not going to get many chances like that uh, in conference. Yeah. And as much as we say the Creighton and Iowa wins are, are wins that maybe buy Fred Tom. Uh, I think a loss, even on the road to Minnesota, is a game that maybe loses him time. There's a, a setback probably beyond measure because Minnesota is 
that bad in Nebraska. Although Minnesota almost beat Wisconsin the other night. You watched that. Well, that's just the Big Ten. But, <laughs> um, I mean, Nebraska has fully catapulted itself to say, okay, we're at least a, a few tiers above a team like Minnesota. I mean, everybody in the league has. So, um, it, it would definitely, depending on how close the game is, I mean, I think a loss regardless is a, is a setback. But um, if it's like a one-possession game, I don't know. I mean, with the after the Michigan State game, I I couldn't tell you what's gonna happen, but I, I don't think they lose. I mean, it it would like I said, it it would be a setback. Yeah, you know, I mentioned this on the other podcast. Uh, the thing that concerns me, Joel, is just when you're so reliant on your defense, which Nebraska is. Yeah. Um, defense is something that really requires energy, right? And when you're playing a 20 game conference season and you got to grind every night and every you're playing so many one and two and three possession games. Uh, I just worry about their fatigue level. You know, like Creighton's going to have nights where they make enough jump shots to blow a team out and to play 20 or 30 minutes like they did against Seton Hall. You know, uh, Nebraska's not going to have a lot of those nights. I mean, they're, they're going to have to grind to win because they just they don't score that much. And so I just worry about their stamina level. It's uh, They're going to have to be on point, concentrate, focus, all those things. Uh, and and I think when you do that every three or four days against NCAA tournament teams, which they're going to see nine or ten of those probably in the league, yeah. uh, it just grinds on you after a while, you know. Sure. And um, for what it's worth, I think. Um, well, I thought the Michigan State game. Um, I didn't think they would get blown out like that because Michigan State's had uh, their flashes of of issues or whatever. But um, I think the next couple of games. Don't kill me if you're an Illinois fan listening to this. The next couple of games we're huge. Be, we're huge in the champagne market. <laughs> the next couple of games should be relatively um, relaxed on that front. Whoa, well, relaxed? Don't you have you not been around Nebraska basketball enough to know that there's no such thing as a relaxing game? Come okay. on. Well, the, the Minnesota game I think is is a win, and then Illinois. I mean, we you talk just, about teams you, with issues. You Illinois just chalked up a you just chalked up a road win in the Big Ten for Nebraska. Yeah, I did. Okay, and, and I'm I'm obviously not. Uh, I haven't been Nebraska's biggest. Uh, I haven't bet them their money line in every game. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a gambler, by the way. But um, I think that is a for the campaign that we're pushing. That I'm pushing of hey, get Fred more time. I think in this alternate reality where he gets more time, this is a win. And Illinois, I think is if not a competitive game, it's it's a win because. Um, Illinois is one of those teams, like we mentioned, that has their fair share of issues. I, I've actually, I, I can't remember the last college basketball season I watched where I saw this many top twenty-five teams. That Joel, were, it I mean, is crazy, and and obviously there's a lack of like greatness at the top, yeah. but there's just a ton of volatility. Like it's, and I don't even mean teams like Creighton and North Carolina, which we've talked about in the past, but like it's it's everybody. You know, it, there's nobody that. The, the consistency level is just is weirdly off. Yeah, like the the teams we're talking about are consistent are like New Mexico and like College of Charleston. Like um, you look at a team like Auburn. I th- I I thought Auburn has been fraudulent for most of the year, and um, I think they just lost the other night. But their spot in the top twenty five is real suspect. Um, like. And I, I dare I say it, like Mizzou looks like one of the more real teams in the top twenty-five. <laughs> I mean, this is this is an alternate reality I didn't expect to walk. Well, in. and let's let's look at you know UConn, Kansas, like the teams at the top. 
There's is no it, clear number one. Is there anybody at the top that you couldn't see losing in the second round of the NCAA tournament? Sure, yeah. No, it, it, it makes sense. And I look across the board, like, and I think I think it's how uncertain all the powerhouses have been. Like, Illinois has had their issues. Kentucky is a walking issue. Gonzaga. Gonzaga has had their issues. Um, so it's just everything's so unpredictable. And maybe that benefits Nebraska in the league this year. I don't know. Obviously, they have to work harder than most to – to get their wins, but yeah. um, I, th- I think considering the next two games, if it goes the way I, I've you know foretold it, then I think Fred. Well, we have to keep talking about Fred getting more time. Then that's just the thing. Yeah, it's it's a long road ahead. Um, I think you just got to see how this team endures the the rigor of the Big Ten. Yeah, um, and, and and we were kind of talking about this before the pod started. But even if like as much as I'm. I'm only pushing Fred more time because he has two really big wins. It's hard to see people not saying, okay, you deserve more time. Like, it feels inevitable if you keep trending that way, right? But um, we talked about this before we started recording. Like, even if Fred does get more time, it's, it's really hard to put him in a position to where you keep saying that. Like, you, he would have to keep getting monumental wins with each year because the the talent and, you know, having to try to recruit talent that fits his style – um, it's it's just unbelievably rough. I think the hard part is just you're not – even the roster you have right now is not something you can build on, you know, in terms of, like, continuity. Like, sure, you, yeah. you're, 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 you're sort of starting from scratch again, right, next year. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that some of those guys – a couple of those guys won't stay, but, but, but your best players are largely going to be gone again. So, But as, as Tom Chattel said in our – our other podcast, uh, uh, you know, at least you maybe found a template that that is promising. Uh, at least you you sort of re re um, identified the program as as sort of a gritty defensive program as opposed to what they were the first few years when they were trying to, you know, it was Alonzo Verge and Bryce McGowan's trying to trying to score forty points every night. You know, sure. so um, I think maybe they they've developed some grit here, even if they don't keep all these guys next year. Um, at least they maybe figure out a path. You know, they don't have to win the Big Ten. You don't have to be a top twenty-five program. Finish seventh or eighth in the Big Ten. You're gonna make the NCAA tournament. Sure. And and on that front, like considering like if Fred did build a new identity for the program, is there a higher ceiling for that? Because this is not who he is. Like, is there a higher ceiling for that? Has he maximized that already? Is there a batch of players? Talent-wise, like, will he go out and recruit those type of guys now? I don't know. I don't know. It's a, um, it's a really good question for the off season and and how they sort of repurpose themselves. Uh, I it's it's very encouraging what they got from B- Vandemel and uh, you know Gary and Greasel yeah. coming in off the transfer market, but they're probably going to have to find you know two or three more of those guys in the next cycle. I want to finish with uh, with this, Joel. What in the hell is going on in the NBA? Because we're not going to talk NBA every week, but we were talking, we were texting back and forth at eleven forty-five last night, talking about all the uh, theatrics in the league. That's when and I had lunch, by the way. That's when you had lunch. <laughs> Joel's on a little different, little different <laughs> schedule than most of us responsible adults who wear scarves. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, call myself a responsible Joel, adult. 
what is Donovan Mitchell seventy? You know, Giannis seventy one. Seventy one. Uh, Luca getting sixty. I mean, guys are going nuts. Forty, fifty every night. Didn't we have this conversation last pod? Because didn't Luca do this before we recorded the, the last? Pod? I don't know. It all runs together, Joel. Yeah. But but like. Are, are guys just allowed to travel more? Like, what's going Don't on stop. here? Don't be the old guy <laughs> saying that. You know, I, I've had this conversation internally over the last few days. I forgot what game that was. It, it might have actually been the Providence and UConn game. I always, I'm such an active person on Twitter, so I'm always digging in the comments. Um, and Stay away from the comments, Joel. Well, it's inevitable. Um, and so, I, if I'm right, I think it was this game. I must have saw... The first thing, like, obviously, because UConn fans, they, they don't expect to lose this year, right? So when they do, it's like, oh, uh, everything, go to hell. And so I, I must have seen the first comment was, like, the refs were shit. Like, and I see this every time, with, obviously, every time someone's team loses, the refs are shit. But, and I saw this with Mizzou fans, too. I didn't, I didn't watch the full Mizzou game, but they were like, the refs were shit. And so I'm like. Well, I think that's that's an age-old criticism, but right? But that's so annoying. And, and me, personally, in my coverage, I almost completely take out officiating. No, yeah, you don't want to write about officiating. Because um, through the course of most games, it swings both ways, yeah. I think. And so for people to blame officiating, it's so annoying. I'm going on this rant because you, you mentioned traveling. Traveling is part of it, bro. <laughs> like uh, all the fouls and all the travel, carry, bro, like – Kill all this shit. Like, I had somebody argue with me um, last game because I forgot. I think it was Odakale that, that had a, a dunk in the first half. And then he, like, swung on the rim. But, like, because he did, like, a chin-up, he had to, like, swing himself back down. And he was up there long enough to where he got a tech. Yeah, that, I, I don't like that. I, I hate that call. Like, the only refs who call technicals for hanging on the rim are refs who could never dunk. And, bro, like, that that's a call to, like, has to be eradicated. And so I had this dude in my comments arguing with me, like, um, it's a tech for sure. Like, what do you Because I say a soft tech. And he's like, it, it, from my view, he did a chin-up. So why wouldn't it be a call? And it's like, bro, I don't care if he did a backflip on the rim. Like, that shit should not be called. Like, that, <laughs> that's such a soft call. Um, hey, if we want to increase television ratings, we'll let guys do whatever they want on the rim after a dunk. Sure. And, and, and so to back to your point, the, we've seen, I think this year, the refs have made it a, a thing to – um, actually increased the the travel calls and the carry calls. I've seen carry call more times yeah, this more year carries. than I can remember, um, which is annoying because um, you basically you basically saying you wish Allen Iverson never existed. I mean, he didn't do he, he didn't carried have a the ball. For, he carried the ball, Joel. He didn't have a career for nothing. Right? Isaiah like, Thomas of the Celtics they carried paved the ball. The way for carrying to be. I mean, as long as your ball is not as long as your hand is not you can't under guard the ball. those guys the way they dribble the ball ask who fred hoiberg when fred hoiberg the was the bulls head coach and isaiah thomas was doing that fred actually like raised the fuss in a post-game press conference which fred never does because you can't guard guys like that when they carry the ball you have to call it i don't think you guard guards either way i mean this is a, this as much as some guys pride themselves on defense this is not a defensive league okay we jo- we joked about it okay so the real reason what why are guys scoring like never before is it because nobody plays defense is it because uh you know the officiating is it because scores are just more skilled than ever like what's going on because this is actually becoming a thing like you know, it's it's NBA, but it will inevitably trickle down no, to college I've never basketball. Seen it like this, we're not even at the All Star break in every every game. Because I tell myself I never really have time to watch the NBA as it's happening in real time. I always have to go back and watch. And so, 
Um, I keep telling myself, like, oh, I'm going to go back and watch Luca's game. And then, like, Donovan will put up 71. And it's like, okay, I'm going to tell myself I'm going to go back and watch Donovan's game. And then Giannis puts up 55. And it's like, well, shit, man. Y'all are losing <laughs> me. Like, I don't have enough time in the day for this. I can't keep up with this shit. This is why you stay up till 5 o'clock in the morning. It really is. And so um, I think guys are just too, too talented. Like, as much as people your age want to – Boast about uh, <laughs> the bad boy pistons and whoever else. I mean, dog, we've never seen this batch of talented scorers ever. Like, you could drop a mid-tier player. You could drop, dare I say, Jordan Poole, Desmond Bain in the 90s, and they'd be a Hall of Famer, dog. Like, the, these dudes are Oh, Joel, you just, you just triggered about cry. You didn't trigger you know me. My Twitter. Because you know what? I, I am actually new school when it comes to this. I believe wholeheartedly in what you just said, uh, that the shot making is at a level um, that that guys in the 90s and 2000s can't touch. Um, and, you know, I'm one of these guys who thinks that, well, I won't I won't go there on Scottie Pippen being terribly overrated and all this wow. stuff. Wow. But, but the point is, like, the, the level, the skill level, because guys are playing so much, so young – all the all the off season stuff they do, all the shot making drills that they do and yeah. practice that they do that started with Steph Curry, um, it's you almost can't guard guys now, you know. And Wembenyama is going to be the next the next uh, uh, evolution, oh, you know, seven already. foot four yeah. shooting shooting runner threes from twenty five feet. Like this is only going to keep going, right? The the evolution of basketball, and but it is it is very cool. Like you turn on a random NBA game. Uh, and and you see things that you never thought you'd see, uh, yeah. and I think it's a testament to the skill level and how much work guys are putting into it. Yeah, and it's not just the NBA, right? Like you're seeing, um, like what in what world do you know? I don't think it's, it was like this before I was born, where uh, the college player of the year won't go on to be at least a decent NBA player. And I'm not saying Oscar Sheepway can't be, right? These are guys we're talking about. Guys, the the players of the year candidates are going to be back half of the draft, like yeah. the last ten picks. Um, and it's just Luca Garza is listening to you right now. Oh, brother, I never liked him. By the way, <laughs> did you ever see his uh, combine? The uh, they don't make them run the forty, whatever they make them do the, the sprint they do at the combine. Probably the most cringe clip I've ever seen was watching <laughs> him run at the combine. But um, hey, he's in the league though. Just barely, he's but, making money. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know what? S- salute to him. He can get in his bag, uh, being slow. But, um, you, like like you said, like the talent, they're just bred differently. Like I'm even watching, like I was watching that Arkansas game yesterday, and I'm watching a guy like Jordan Walsh, who isn't a shot maker, but guys, even the intangibles are being bred differently, like defensive intensity and um, being a menace. Like you're seeing like a different, like this whole wave of guys, like. Um, you know, I'm not even gonna start naming names because they gonna say people are gonna say why are you even put them in the same tier. But let's let's just throw the name Draymond out and all the guys that maybe follow his steps or tr- have tried to. That's like an entire mold of a player that I think um, you dropped them in the '90s and they do really well. As much as we like to clown Draymond, I think he killed it in the '90s, right? And so um, Jordan Walsh is another guy who he might not ever have to be a shot maker, but I'm watching him kill Missouri on the boards, um, and defend the best player. I mean, he locked up Kaluma like I've, I've never seen before. This is a guy I'm really encouraged about. So from shot makers to to glue guys to the, all the dudes and intangibles, players are just bred differently these days, man. It's yeah, crazy. It is. 
Um, we'll end it there. I was going to resist the urge to say, you know, Donald Mitchell can score 71 points, but Nebraska basketball can't. Uh, I won't <laughs> say that uh, because they're going to beat Minnesota on Saturday, Joel. Yeah, uh, and when they do, we're, they're, uh, they're going to – we're going to bring back the NIT talk. So uh, <laughs> he's Joel Lorenzi. I'm Dirk Chatwin. Thanks for listening to the Half Court Press podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>